Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Dominic Fracasa, and this is a special weekend episode of Fifth in Mission. Friday's Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade wasn't exactly a surprise after a draft of the opinion was leaked last month, but the ruling that reverses 49 years of federal protection for abortion sparked immediate protests across the country, including San Francisco. Already on Friday, we heard reports of abortion appointments being canceled in some states. Within the next few weeks, abortion will be illegal in 13 states with so-called trigger laws. Another 13 will have restricted access to abortion. The Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade will have an impact on Texans. Last year, the Texas legislature passed a bill that was signed by Governor Greg Abbott to ban most abortions if Roe v. Wade was overturned, which today, obviously, it has been. Fifth and Mission doesn't usually drop new episodes over the weekend, but Friday's news from the Supreme Court warranted something extra. So we asked Dr. Carol Jaffe to join us today. She's a professor at the Bixby Center for Global Reproductive Health at UCSF and an expert on the societal impacts of reproductive health care. She's written extensively on abortion access, including the books Doctors of Conscience, The Struggle to Provide Abortion Before and After Roe v. Wade, and Dispatches from the Abortion Wars, The Costs of Fanaticism to Doctors, Patients, and the Rest of Us. Carol, thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. So we've known for some time that this ruling was coming. Um, you've written pieces in the past warning that Roe would be overturned. But but even so, even with all of that foresight, Friday's decision really felt like a gut punch, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, what was your reaction when you heard that the ruling was finalized? Exactly what you said, Don, a gut punch. I mean, yes, we knew it was coming and it's horrible. We know that California is going to protect abortion rights, but we know that the state is also preparing for an influx of people arriving here to California for abortion services. What do you think are going to be the immediate changes that we're going to see in California in the coming weeks and months? What do you think our healthcare system is going to look like? Yes, in the immediate future, California and about half the other states will protect abortion. However, the anti-abortion movement has made it very clear that they're not stopping here. So if there's a Republican takeover of House and Senate and a Republican president in 2024, uh, I think it is very likely that they will vote a national ban. And uh, it is also very likely that unless the Supreme Court changes its composition, they would uphold that. So it may be even worse than we think. But getting back to your question about California, I mean, California has been remarkably proactive. The governor very early on, even I think before the leak, uh, commissioned a council on the future of abortion in California. Various uh, legislation is now being passed to protect providers, to give more resources to clinics, to give more resources to people coming in from other states. So California is doing very 
<laughs> really, I think doing all it can, and it's it's from a pro-choice perspective, very impressive. However, let me say that I don't think that California will get a flood of people coming for abortions. All the analysis and all the talking I have done with colleagues, the real ground zeros will be Illinois, Colorado, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is seen as a very crucial place for people coming from Ohio and Michigan. We don't quite yet know what will happen in Michigan, but very likely. I mean, California is expensive. It's far. Definitely, there'll be some people from uh, Arizona. My colleagues in abortion provision tell me that even here at San Francisco, the clinic at UCSF has seen a number of people from Texas. I mean, California is the most pro-choice state possible. Unfortunately, it's way on this side of the country. And the people who are going to get hurt the most are going to be in the South and the Midwest. So they will go to places, if they can, nearer. And again, just to be clear, the cities and states that you mentioned that you expect will feel an influx of people coming seeking abortion services, that has to do with proximity to states where abortion is restricted exactly. or banned outright. Okay, okay, exactly. got it. Like you said, California is far away, it's expensive to travel to, so it's these other places, perhaps more in toward the middle of the country that, um, that you expect, I see. Right, from Mississippi, you can drive, it's going to take you a while, but you, you can drive uh, to North Carolina. I mean, they don't have another governor's race for two years. So the assumption is at least for these two years, that will remain legal. You can drive there. Driving to California is a, is a bigger prospect. We're talking about poor people. I mean, 50% of all abortion patients these days are below the poverty line. Another 25% just above there will be some funds, there will be enormous fundraising going on to help people get from place to place. It won't help everybody. So someone whose income is 20000 a year, if that is going to hopefully get a ride to North Carolina, she's not going to come to California. You are uh, part of a group at UCSF that researches reproductive health, reproductive rights, reproductive access. Could you talk a little bit about some of the larger consequences when a person is denied access to healthcare services like abortion? Could, could you walk us through what that's like? Well, truly one of the most significant pieces of abortion research ever, and I know that sounds like a very grandiose statement, but I believe it's true and it's not mine. So I can say this without <laughs> being a complete idiot. Um, no, uh, my colleagues at UCSF, led by Diana Green Foster, uh, did the turnaway study. Uh, nothing had ever been like it done before in abortion research. Diana and her team compared a group of women who got abortions uh, who were very similar along racial lines, along age and so forth. And it, they were compared to what she called turnaways, people who came too late in gestation. They just missed the cutoff. So she was able to follow these people for a very long time. And the results are not surprising, but very striking. Because now we have evidence for what a lot of us researchers believe for many years, that the women who didn't get abortions, more likely to be poor, more likely uh, to be in bad relationships. The advantage of studying this group over time 
this project was actually able to get information on the children. The team was able to compare the children born to those who were denied abortion as opposed to the children who were born either who the people who got abortions already had or who had at a later time. And guess what? Guess who we're doing better uh, in terms of parental bonding, in terms of very other aspects of child development. You know, and what this tells us is, well, first of all, that 60% of all uh, people who get abortions are already parents. So that already tells us something. But what it also tells us is that when you can have your children at a time you feel you are best able to take care of them, uh, the, the children do better and you do better. In 2018, after uh, Brett Kavanaugh's appointment to the Supreme Court, you predicted an end to Roe v. Wade. You actually wrote in an op-ed in the Washington Post that, quote, a post-Roe America will look very different than pre-Roe America did. Could you explain what you meant by that? Well, here's what's going to look very different. We will now have many, many children born to parents who are not able to take care of them. The very flippant assertion of Amy Coney Barrett, oh, you can just leave off your babies at, you know, at a fire station. I mean, that is absurd. That is insulting to pregnant people. Even people who were not ready to be parents and didn't want to continue pregnancy find it very, very difficult to give up children for adoption. The adoption rate in this country is extremely low. So one aspect of a post-Row America is going to be a lot of children who are not doing well, who are living with parents who cannot adequately take care of them. Some people want to have children, some people don't, and we should honor both choices, but we should not make people who don't want to have children have them. But something else I, I am worried about, there's been a lot of attention paid recently uh, to the mortality rate. Uh, in this country, extremely high. I mean, a number of developing countries actually have a better record of maternal mortality than we do. Going through a pregnancy, you are 14 times more likely to die than going through a first trimester abortion. I mean, that has been scientifically studied. Earlier, I told you, Dom, that 50% of all abortion patients live below the poverty line. These are people who don't have good health care. These are people who have many of the health problems of poverty, obesity, because there's very bad food. They're in, quote, food deserts. So I fear a real public health crisis. And in addition to all the other ways we can talk about what this Dobbs decision means, uh, I feel one of the major implications will be many more sick women, a number of whom will die. By now, it's slightly more than half of all legal abortions that take place in the United States are done through medication abortion. Um, so the good news is that now there's medication abortion, much safer. But what's the difference? In the pre-Row era, even though there was a lot of illegal abortion, is some people have estimated in the years leading up to Roe as much as 1.2 million. And um, it was illegal. The, the doctors who did it, were nervous about losing their license. Women were worried that they'd be arrested, but everybody did it anyway. 
But in retrospect, there was relatively little uh, legal prosecution. There was no anti-abortion movement. There was no pressure. Fast forward to now, it's going to be a completely different thing. We have a safe option, but it's not legal. And I can assure you that the anti-abortion movement is going to do everything it can. So what I am worried about is the amount of legal surveillance. And there's been a lot of talk now about digital insecurity. Uh, people's phones can be you know, monitored, who they called, you know, what links they clicked onto. So we are living in a very, very different legal environment now than we were before Roe. And I am extremely worried about that. We'll have more with Dr. Carol Jaffe after this break. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. You've written also about the struggle that doctors have gone through to provide abortions long before today. Could you talk about what some of those challenges were and and what can abortion providers expect to face in a post-Roe America? There's a lot we don't know. Uh, here's what I do know, however. Well, we won't have legal abortion provision in about half the states. It will take, some of this has, will go into effect immediately. In the last couple of weeks, a number of clinics that I'm aware of stopped scheduling patients because they didn't know. I mean, in some of these states, literally at 10 o'clock, East Coast time, it would be over. And, you know, the nightmare of having a, a patient on the table, you know, in the midst of having her abortion and the, your clinic lawyer calls and says, stop. I mean, the red state clinics are over. There will still be legal abortion in about half the states. I anticipate a lot of protesting and harassment sectors of the anti-abortion movement have made it clear they won't be satisfied with this decision. They don't want abortion anywhere. Many clinics in the blue states get protesting all the time anyway, and it will be more. One of the real difficult issues uh, for the provider community will be um, what kind of civil disobedience you engage in? And it is an extraordinarily difficult question. Uh, my own research, as you mentioned, Don, was a, studying doctors of conscience, as I call them, who did abortions before Roe. They took risks, no question. But as I said, there really was not all that much surveillance. It's going to be very different now. And what has been clear to me in the weeks leading up to this, there's so much legally we don't know yet. Here's an example. A woman from a red state goes to a blue state for medication abortion. She gets the first drug that I mentioned, mifepristone there. And then later, several hours later, to take the second drug. Well, first of all, is what she's doing legal? What's the abortion? Is the abortion the, the drug she took in let's say Illinois, but then when she went back home to St. Louis and took the second drug, is that the abortion? We, we don't know yet. A young woman in Texas who took medication abortion drugs, who started to bleed a lot, got scared, went to her local ER. When you get these drugs, you are told, if you go to an ER, you do not have to tell them 
that you took these drugs, say you are having a miscarriage, which is true. They cannot detect these drugs in your bloodstream. However, she panicked and she told them, somebody in the yard promptly picked up the phone and called the cops. And she spent two days in jail and, and then was released. Now let's say she didn't go to an ER. Let's say she called her doctor in her hometown. If the doctor examines her or if the doctor counsels her, is that doctor participating in an abortion in the state where it's banned? And of course, we haven't talked about these lunatic vigilante laws that Texas has and that Idaho has, and no doubt other states will follow where anybody, you don't have to be law enforcement, where anybody can sue anybody who, quote, aids and abets an abortion. The Uber driver the parent who picks you up, the doctor who maybe told you how to take these drugs. So there's a very uncertain and frankly, quite scary legal environment awaiting us. Many people woke up Friday feeling disillusioned about the state of the country and powerless as to what they can do to make a difference. When decisions that impact all Americans are made by six justices who seem largely removed from actual public opinion, what can people do to make an impact? I would point them to several things, uh, none of them particularly original. I mean, to the extent your listeners are primarily Californians, I would tell them to keep voting Democratic. Well, voting is an important thing, period. But it's most essential in these red states that keep electing these politicians. Uh, the problem is we can't separate the problem of abortion from the problem of the suppression of voting rights. So the people who are going to be most hurt by this decision, and I would add most hurt by the guns decision that we just had a couple of days ago, are going to be the people whose vote are going to be most oppressed. Obviously, and this is hardly original, uh, people should donate money to abortion funds here in the Bay Area. On a day where a lot of people, you know, felt and saw a lot of darkness. I, I just wonder if there was anything about the decision and, and the run-up to it where you see any kind of little sliver of light, anything that gives you optimism, perhaps even in what you saw, the sort of immediate and very vocal response to people who looked at this ruling and saw something exceptionally troubling. As many said, a low point in this nation's history, certainly in the last you know 50 years. But is there any sort of, again, sliver of light that you see that we could point people to as well. Yeah, and I hope this, I mean, I hope this sounds sincere, not formulaic, but look, I've studied this issue for 40 years and my particular focus has been the provider community and the people that I've encountered, I mean, hundreds of them, I mean, 40 years is a long time. The commitment is extraordinary and the commitment of people in the blue states their workload is going to increase enormously and they will rise to the occasion. The people in the red states who I am heartbroken for today, I mean, uh, I am thinking of colleagues of mine who literally for 40 years, actually more, a couple of my colleagues started clinics right after Roe. So for almost 50 years, they have dedicated themselves to doing the most humane, comforting, respectful care. And the thought that their clinics are going to be shuttered tomorrow breaks my heart. But I guess my answer to you, Dom, is that 
having seen up close, you know, the extraordinary dedication of people in this field. It's not just a job, it's a mission. It's being part of a social movement. So I know they will do all they can. So if I can speak personally, it's just been an honor to be part of this movement. Well, Dr. Carol Jaffe, thank you so much uh, for talking with us this afternoon. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Our thanks again to Carol Jaffe for joining me today. Thanks to Karen Creighton and Cecilia Lay for producing this episode with help from King Kaufman and Sarah Feldberg. And thanks to you for listening.